Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. Once you've come across the fact that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, and once you see those claims in Scripture, the one option that is not left is simply to ignore Him. That option is just not left to us. But that was also true of those who were there with Christ when He was here on the earth. They had the choice of what they were going to do with these claims that Jesus made. Of course, there were some who very vocally, even violently, chose to oppose him. They stood completely against what he was teaching and claiming to be. Now, some did that because they felt they were doing something good. They were trying to keep Judaism pure. And so to keep this this guy out, this is not a good thing. And so they, they very vocally, even violently opposed him. That was their choice. There were others who weren't violent about it, maybe not all that vocal about it, but they they heard his teachings, they heard his claims, and just decided that this isn't for me. I, I may like some of what he teaches, I may think he's a good another good rabbi, maybe an even another prophet, but he's no better than anybody else. He's He's got some special qualities, he's a good teacher, but I, I'm not going to follow all of that. That was their choice. And of course, there were others who accepted what he said. Some immediately, some it took a while, but they listened to his teachings, they listened to his claims, and they decided that I want to become a follower, a disciple of this man. I want to be what, and follow what he says to, to do and to be what he says to be. And, and so they became his followers, his disciples, and that was their choice. And 2,000 years later, those are still the choices we can make. Now, there may be a little more along the spectrum. It may not be exactly pigeonholing everything into those three things. But even 2,000 years later, there are still some who read Scripture or hear messages about Christ, about Scripture, and decide not just they're not going to follow, but they're going to completely oppose it. They're going to call it foolish. They're going to say it's a myth. Anyone who follows that's just dumb. Maybe even persecute those who follow such things. Be very vocal and violent against the ways of Christianity. And that's their choice. There are others who are not so vocal, but they hear the teachings of Christ, the teachings of Scripture, and decide, that's just not for me. Or there are some even who come to church buildings who hear the teachings of Christ and say, I'll accept this part of it, but I'm not going to accept that part of it. I want to accept some of what he has to say, but I don't have to do everything that he says. I'm going to do the parts that I want to do and and just I'm going to take some of his teachings as good, but not all of it fits the way with I want to live, and that's their choice. And there are others who hear the teachings, hear the claims, and decide, I I want to be what he would have me to be. I want to wear his name, be a Christian, a Christ one. I want to do all I can to be as much like him as I possibly can. I want to be a disciple, a follower, an imitator of him, and that's their choice. 
Now, so far, three or four minutes into this lesson, I haven't said anything you don't know. Those, those things are true, have been true for all these years, and those things are very obvious. That when, when, when one comes to the teachings of Christ, that there are simply things that we must choose. Am I going to accept Him, or am I going to reject Him? But once I come to the claims of Christ, the one option I do not have is to ignore Him. You cannot do it. At some point in each of our lives, we must make a decision of what we are going to do with Christ. It's interesting how we decide to follow him or not follow him. You know, on this side of the cross, on this side of the close of the New Testament, we have so many things that would show us that Jesus really is the Son of God. We have a lot of proofs. We have the cross itself. We have the resurrection. We have the living of the apostles and even some who died for their faith, some who were apostles and some who weren't, Stephen and others who, who died for their faith. And you don't die for something you don't really believe in. We have all of these things. But what I want to do this morning with you is I want to turn back to that text that David read for us a few moments ago from John chapter 5. And if you open your Bible to John chapter 5, you're going to have the outline of the lesson right there in front of you. Because even on that side of the cross, before Jesus went to the cross, he had to bring witnesses for himself. He had to prove who he said he was. And if you look earlier in John chapter 5, you're going to see some of the claims that Jesus was making. Earlier in the chapter, he had claimed to be sent from the Father to be the Son of God. He had claimed to be perfectly following the will of the Father. He had said that only through hearing his word and believing it would someone find eternal life. He had claimed that there would be a judgment day, but he said he himself would be the one who would call everyone forth from their graves, John 5, verse 28 and 29. Those are the kinds of claims, to say it lightly, that you don't just make and then just run off somewhere. You don't make those kind of claims lightly. You don't make claims like that and just slink off into the darkness. You don't make those kind of claims and just run out of town. You make those kind of claims and you prove or disprove those claims. And in John 5, verses 30 through the end, verse 30 through the end of the chapter, what Jesus does is he calls five witnesses to the stand. And says that each of those witnesses prove that I am who I claim to be. What we're going to do this morning is just look at those witnesses and ask the question, what will you do with Jesus? Witness number one, we won't spend all that much time on because Jesus himself doesn't. But that is to call himself as a witness. If you notice in verse 33, Jesus said, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. Now, he doesn't say his testimony is not true. He says not, it's not deemed true. We'll talk about that more in just, just a second. Now, we're not going to spend much time on that, but in, in calling himself as a witness, Jesus does a couple of things. First, he admits the people's skepticism, and they're right to be skeptical. They're right to have some questions here. This man claiming to be the Son of God. And so he's saying, I understand. I understand that there is some skepticism, some questioning about what I'm saying, but he also makes a very powerful personal statement because he's willing to stand behind what he's saying. He does not just call other witnesses to the stand. He calls himself and says, I I will witness to myself. I'll stand behind these claims. Now, to those who are listening to Jesus on that day, most likely Jews or mostly Jews anyway, he knew that. In the Old Testament law, when things dealt with capital punishment, and by the way, blasphemy was a capital crime. And so to claim to be the son of God, if you weren't, was blasphemy. 
But if you think about capital crimes, you had to call two or three witnesses. That's why Jesus says, my testimony is not deemed true if I only testify about myself. He knows, he said, I know I've got to call some other people to stand here for you all to, to understand and to really verify what I have to say. But it is important for us to realize that Jesus stood behind his claims. But that's not all he brought to the stand. Witness number two is John, John the Baptist, or John the Immerser, as we sometimes call him, one of the most fascinating figures in all the Bible. So it's no wonder Jesus would call him. Verse 33, you sent to John, and he has borne witness of the truth. If you're in John chapter 5, you may want to turn back two or three pages to John chapter 1. Because in John chapter 1, I think we have a recording of maybe what Jesus had in mind as he said that John had borne witness about Christ. Notice what's written in John 1, verses 29 through 34. The next day he, that is John the Immerser, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John, notice it, John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend will remain. This is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have, notice it, borne witness that this is the Son of God. Twice in that reading, you have the words born witness. It's interesting that the first verse we read, John 1, 29, does not specifically say I've borne witness. But that's where you have the words where John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. These people knew John the Baptist. They, Jesus even said that they knew him. And so John brings this testimony. Now, John was a prophet of God. Now, I'm well aware of the fact that John had some pushback on that to an extent back in John chapter 1 and verse 21. But that was a pushback to being called the prophet. The one that God told Moses in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15, I'll raise up another prophet like you. John was not the prophet, the one like Moses. But John was a prophet because a prophet is just simply one who speaks for another. And John very clearly spoke the message of God to the people. But John was also from the priestly tribe, the son of Zechariah, the the priest. And more than that, he was set aside as a Nazarite, a special servant, all the way from birth. Luke chapter 1 and verse 15 tells us there was something very special about this man, even from birth. And God had a purpose for him. And John understood that role. He's the one who said he prepared the way. He's the one who said in John 3 and verse 28, I am not the Christ, but... Am sent ahead of him. If I may paraphrase, I'm not him, but I've got a special purpose. And even here in John chapter 5, you see that brought out. Speaking about John, notice what's said about him in verse 35. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. It's interesting terminology to call John a lamp. I think it's about the culture of that time. More than likely, Jesus had in mind an oil lamp of some kind. An oil lamp doesn't light itself. It doesn't provide its own light. 
You have to provide the oil in the lamp. You have to provide some kind of ignition to, to light that oil, to set it on fire so that it burns. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, John is not the light. John does not provide his own light, but he shines a light to something very and very important. He's bearing witness to the truth. These people knew John. They respected John, whether they followed him or not. That was that was their decision to listen to his teachings and accept them or reject them. But they knew John and respected him to a certain degree. And Jesus is saying he has borne witness. And you know that he has shown the light for you to follow to me. Witness number two is John the Baptist. But interestingly, Jesus says there's a greater witness. Verse 36. Witness number three are the works of Christ himself. Notice the latter part of verse 36. Where Jesus said, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Now, I find it of some interest that in saying this, Jesus used a very generic word. Did you notice he did not say the miracles that the Father sent me to do? And considering we're in the gospel according to John, it's also interesting he did not say the signs that God sent me to do. Because you remember that in the gospel according to John, that, that John called the miracles signs. You might think of John chapter 2, where Jesus turned water into wine. And, and that uh, account is ended with the fact that this, the first sign that Jesus performed, was done in Cana of Galilee. Why did John call them that? Well, because it's the purpose of his whole book. John 20, verses 30 and 31, many other signs Jesus did in the presence of many witnesses they were not written this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and may have life in his name. Signs point to something. They direct you to something. They give you direction. But that's not what Jesus says here, is it? He doesn't say miracles. He doesn't say signs. He just uses a very generic term, the works. Now, why would he do that? Oh, well, certainly the miracles pointed to him being the Son of God, or at least from God. But they were not the only works that showed who Jesus was. Every time Jesus preached or taught, it showed who he was. Because, you remember the end of the Sermon on the Mount? He spoke as one having authority, not as one of the scribes. And others would say about Christ, no one ever spoke like him. Every time Jesus interacted with someone, you understood the love and the grace and the mercy and the justice and the judgment and all the other attributes of God all rolled into one conversation, one interaction. No one ever interacted with anybody else like Christ did. So it wasn't just the miracles. Oh, they underscored who Jesus was. But all the works that Jesus did and said, all of them showed who he was. But did you notice what Jesus said about those works here? The works that the Father sent me to... Accomplish? Does that not ring to some other things Jesus said while he was here on the earth? Just one chapter earlier, in John chapter 4 and verse, I believe it's 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And what was the cry of victory on the cross? The word to die, it is finished, literally means it is accomplished. Jesus is not just talking about the miracles, although they underscore his deity, the fact he's the son of God. He is saying everything you have seen me say and do, everything 
bears witness to the fact that the mission I am on is from the Father and I am completing and fulfilling, accomplishing that mission. He's basically issuing a challenge saying, follow me around, hear me talk, watch what I do, and you will see that I am the Son of God. The works of Christ show that he is from God. Witness number three, his works. Witness number four should have settled the matter because witness number four is God the Father. In verses 37 and 38, which go beyond our scripture reading this morning. I didn't want to make David read, you know, 20 verses or whatever. But it goes beyond the scripture reading. Jesus drops what basically amounts to a double bombshell. He claimed that God the Father was a witness. But he also dropped the bombshell on the people that they were not faithful to the Father. Notice what he said. Verses 37 and 38. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Now, in reality, each of the five witnesses that Jesus calls to the stand flow from God the Father. John was appointed by God to be the one to prepare the way. Jesus was the one sent by God. The the works were from God. All, All these things flow from God. But God the Father himself bore witness that this really was the Son of God. Jesus specifically points him out. But he also draws a line in the sand, making it clear that if they would listen to him, they would hear the Father. Maybe he has in mind what was said when John baptized him. When that voice from heaven called out, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You ever considered the fact that the events of that day, John saying, behold, the Lamb of God and so forth. This dove descending from heaven and and alighting on Christ. This voice from heaven calling out and saying, this is my beloved son. Have you ever thought about the fact that should have settled the matter? That really should have been the end of the debate. That one day should have kind of ended any debate who this was. And especially when that voice called out and said that about Christ. There's only, as far as we have recorded, three times where God the Father spoke vocally from heaven while Jesus was here on the earth. This being one. The other more famous one, of course, or as famous, I should say, is the Mount of Transfiguration. Where just a small group was there, Peter, James, and John. You remember Peter sees Moses and Elijah up there on, on the mountain, and Peter basically goes, let's build three tabernacles, because, wow, this is amazing, right? And the voice calls up from heaven, repeats the same message, this is my beloved son, not Moses, not Elijah, this is my beloved son, in whom I will please. But then he added the words, hear him, hear him. Each time God the Father spoke from heaven while Jesus was here on the earth, it was always to point to bearing witness that this really is my son. This really is the one who's been promised for all of that time. But Jesus says, you're missing that because you're not listening to the one that he has sent. I love John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 18. The Bible says no one has ever seen the Father. But then the end of that verse says, the one who sits on his right hand, he has made him known. You ever wonder things about God? I think we all do at times. Maybe as we grow and mature and read more scripture, we understand more. But I think we all wonder things at time. At times. What's John 1 and 18 saying? What's Jesus saying here in John chapter 5? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God thinks about something, look at Christ. If you want to know what God would say about this situation, listen to Jesus. 
And he's telling these people, you're missing the testimony of the Father because you're missing my testimony. He sent me. I have the same message. God the Father bears witness about the Son. But in case that wasn't enough, Jesus calls a fifth witness to the stand. And it's the Scriptures themselves. Notice what he says in verses 39 and 40. You search the Scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus is laying down a principle here that all of us need to remember. And that is that the Scripture is about Christ. Now, it's interesting that when he tells them, you search the Scriptures, of course, he's talking about what we know is the Old Testament. That's all they had. Hello, we're in John. It's being lived. So obviously, it hadn't been written down. So all he's talking about is the Old Testament. And he's telling them, I think in a complimentary way, you search the Scriptures. Now, some read that as a, as a condemning way or as a challenge. You go search the Scriptures. I think he's saying you do search the Scriptures. You know what the Old, Testament's, uh, Old Testament Scriptures say. But he's also saying you're missing the point of them. In those scriptures, you think you have eternal life. But you still have to bring a goat on the Day of Atonement. You still got to bring all these sacrifices all the time. And you got to be reminded of your sins year after year after year after year after year. But something or someone is coming who's going to take all that away. He's telling them, you're missing the point of the Old Testament. He's right here with you, Jesus. And Jesus lays down a principle here that helps us to remember that in reality, all of Scripture is about Him. When you and I read the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, we should see those prophecies that point toward Christ. If we read the Old Testament... And are not reminded of the prophecies that lead toward his life. If we're not seeing Jesus in the pictures of the Old Testament. Things like the tabernacle and the temple and so forth. And don't picture things about Christ. If we don't anticipate this wonderful one who was to come. We've missed the point of the Old Testament. Our pew packers that sit down here on Sunday nights will tell you what's the Old Testament. Jesus is coming. If you turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. The four accounts of the gospel. And if you fail to be motivated by this one, if you fail to see this really is the one the Old Testament talked about, if you fail to be touched by his sacrifice, if you fail to be encouraged and and challenged by his teaching, then you've missed the point of the Gospels. Our pew packers that sit down here on Sunday nights will tell you what are the Gospels about. Jesus is here. And if you begin reading in Acts and read all the way through Revelation, the rest of the New Testament... And you fail to see that these really are the commands and the teachings of Christ for his people, both individually in their lives as well as in community and in the church. And if we fail then to be excited about the fact that he really is coming again to take the faithful home, that there really is a judgment day. If we fail to picture him in Acts through Revelation, we've missed the point of the rest of the New Testament. Our Luke Hugh Packers that sit down here on Sunday night will tell you what's the rest of the New Testament about. Jesus is coming again. Folks, from Genesis through Revelation, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And it's about God's plan to save us, save mankind, with Jesus as the centerpiece of all of that plan. That's what he's trying to get these people to see as he points them toward the Scriptures. And he tells them in verses 46 and 47, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? For he wrote of me. 
But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? We mentioned this passage a few minutes ago. It's interesting, you don't see many glimpses of Jesus in the books that Moses wrote. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Except Deuteronomy 18.15. God would raise up a prophet like Moses, like you. When Brother Jay Lockhart was here at the gospel meeting, he mentioned this in one of his lessons. And I appreciate him mentioning it. And uh, so, I'll bring it out again. It's interesting when you study those who want to tear apart the Bible and Say, well, some of it's from God, some of it's not. Guess which book that Moses wrote is the one most often claimed that Moses didn't write? It's Deuteronomy. It's not even close. Almost no biblical scholars will tell you he didn't write Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. But there's some who say, he didn't didn't write Deuteronomy. And most likely, though, Jesus had in mind a passage from Deuteronomy when he said, Moses wrote about me. I think I'll take the words of Christ. How about you? The whole scripture is about him. And Jesus is telling the people of his day, you search the scriptures. You know these passages. You know the Old Testament better than any of us do. But it takes looking for God and looking for Christ in all of scripture. Now, let me hasten to say, that does not mean we stretch a passage to try to fit Christ in it somewhere. He's not saying that every word or every verse, we've got to try to figure out a way to connect it to Christ. But it does mean, that we should be able to start almost anywhere in Scripture and find our way to Christ. Exactly what Philip did for the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8, wasn't it? In Acts chapter 8, you have the Ethiopian reading from what we know as Isaiah chapter 53. He was was led as a lamb to the slaughter and so on and so forth. And hear what the text says? Beginning at that same passage taught him Jesus. It's what Christ himself did. Luke chapter 24, on the road to Emmaus, those two people were going, haven't you heard what's going on here? And what does the Bible tell us Jesus did? Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he expounded in all the scriptures concerning himself, concerning Christ. You and I should get glimpses of Christ from the very beginning of the Bible all the way through the very end. Jesus says, look in the scriptures. Look at the law book, if you want to think of it that way. That's witness enough. And with that, Jesus has called us five witnesses. Now, to those listening on that day, this had to be pretty eye-opening, maybe even shocking, that Jesus would call these witnesses. But when you make claims like the ones he had made, you must call the highest of all witnesses possible. And so, now you've heard the claims of Christ... And if you thought there was an opportunity before, now when you've heard the witnesses he calls, there is no more opportunity to ignore him. They could not any longer, whether they thought they could before or not, they could not ignore Christ. They had to make a decision. And the same remains true for us. You cannot encounter the name, the ministry, the claims of Christ and ignore him. That reaction has not been left as an option. He has made claims that are too lofty. He has called witnesses that are too grand to verify his claims. And so the question becomes, words that we sometimes sing, what will you do with Jesus? Will you choose, since God has given us the ability to choose, to oppose him? Maybe even vocally or violently so. 
That's just myth. That's just silly. That's just dumb. It's outdated. People have to use that for a crutch. I'm too enlightened. I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. In fact, I don't even like it. In fact, I hate it. That's a choice. And God has given us that choice. The ability to make that choice. I doubt many people in a room like this would do that. But it's a choice God has allowed us to make. Will you choose to say, you know what? I'm not going to be against it. But I'm not going to take all of it. There's, there's some wisdom in the Bible. I see some good things there. Maybe, maybe a better person. Maybe I could be a little better husband. Or society might be a little better. But some of this stuff, I mean, come on. Who really cares about some of that stuff? And so I'll take what I like. The rest of it, if you want to follow it, that's fine. If you want to do it your way, that's fine. But I'll do it my way. And I, we'll all just live in that live. And everything will be okay because you'll be happy. I'll be happy. Everybody will be happy, happy, happy. God has given us that choice. And may I again suggest to you, there are many who come to church buildings who make that choice. Or will you see the claims See the witnesses and realize he really is the son of God. He really is the king of all kings. He really is the one who I must follow each and every day. He really is the one I must be a disciple and imitator of. And this side of the cross when I see what he did, why wouldn't I love him so much that I can't wait to accept what he says and follow his will? The case is closed. Jesus is Lord. And the only question left is, what will you do with Jesus? The question comes to you, and you must give an answer for something you will do. What will it be? What will your answer be? What will you do with Jesus? What will your answer be? As together we stand and as we sing.